Welcome to Dear Hiring Manager, the podcast where we explore the ever-evolving world of tech recruiting. I'm Jacqueline, the CEO and co-founder of Hatchways. In this next season of Dear Hiring Manager, I'm going to deep dive on the other side of recruiting from the lens of hiring managers and recruiters. We're going to talk about challenges, solutions, best practices, learnings, insights, and opportunities that lie ahead in the industry. These are influential leaders in the tech recruiting space, bringing you their unique perspectives and actionable advice to help you learn and stay ahead of the curve. Just before we get started on this episode, we'd love to quickly introduce what we're doing here at Hatchways. At Hatchways, we're on a mission to redefine talent discovery by prioritizing skills and potential over pedigree. Through our customizable tech assessment platform, Hatchways empowers companies to efficiently identify and hire exceptional candidates while providing equal opportunities for job seekers to shine. If you're a company looking to create a more real-world hiring process, provide a refreshing experience to your applicants, or capture better hiring signal, visit hatchways.io to learn more. Now, without further ado, Let's dive into today's episode of Dear Hiring Manager. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Just to like set the stage a bit about what we're going to talk about today and who this is targeted for, um, this is for companies that are just starting to think about new grad and intern hiring. Maybe you've hired a couple here and there, but you haven't thought strategically about how new grad and intern hiring fits into kind of your overall hiring strategy. Uh, so this conversation will just cover like the why and the how in starting a new grad intern program, how to get started with partnering with schools and maintaining good relationships with students, and then even some of the internal logistics that you might need to uh, be prepared for um, before you get started. Um, so maybe we just start, Emily, with just a little intro on like who you are and how you even got into a position like this. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jacqueline, for having me. Um so I am the university recruiter and early career program lead here at Amplitude. Amplitude is a Bay Area-based product analytics company. Um, we work to build better products for our customers um, through analytic tools, customer data platforms, um, and experimentation and catered recommendations. Customers that range from 28 of the Fortune 100 companies um, now having over 2000 paying customers. So really been an exciting time for the company. Um, and just within the last couple years, um, we went public, um, fall of 2021 and the business has seen a, a great need for really investing time in the early career program and what that looks like long-term for our talent pipeline. Um, so I've been, the first dedicated university recruiter. Um, and it's been a blast to think about building out the program, uh, partnering with schools, the business to drive long-term impact as well. So continually growing ourselves and figuring it out as we go, but have, have learned a lot and, and grateful for the opportunity I've had so far. That's awesome. And I'm curious to you know, actually, from the trajectory of Amplitude, like what size was the company at when you guys started to invest in like a new grad hiring program? Yeah. So we had um, engineering interns about four, five years ago, um, pretty ad hoc. I would say when we were somewhere in the 400 person 
range of a company. Um, and then in the last couple of years, um, we wanted to kind of expand it, uh, larger cohorts within engineering, product design, product management, um, as well as scaling to general and accounting roles. Um, and with that, it was probably around the 600 person mark when we did that. Um, we're 750 employees now globally, um, and we've expanded outside of engineering, product design, general accounting to go-to-market sales and operations roles, analytics roles within go-to-market as well, which has been exciting this year. And then for additional context, I'm curious to know actually if your intern new grad hiring is um, located in a specific locale or is it remote or overseas? Like, tell me a little bit about that. And then actually just general like numbers of interns or new grads that you hire per year. Yeah. So again, we're, we're relatively small. We've only had the program officially for a couple of years. Um, last summer of 2022 was our biggest cohort of 30 interns. We converted over 60% of them. And then this summer we are about um, 15 to 20. So we decreased in scale, um, but still pretty significant to still want to have the intern program given the macro climate right now. Um, a majority of our interns are based in the SF Bay Area office in an in-person hybrid model. And that's where the headquarters are. That's where we put on programs and events. We also have interns um, that have been placed in Vancouver, Canada in that office, um, as well as looking at New York um, this summer. But with those that are scattered different offices, we build a separate budget bucket to have them come to SF for three, four days um, at a point this summer so everyone can be together and have fun events uh, across all interns versus just those that are in the SF office. That's awesome. Do you sometimes wish you were an intern again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm an honorary intern yeah. when I hang out with them. So. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, great. So maybe we can just get kind of jump in for someone who's just starting to think about, about a program. You know, why, why start a university recruiting program? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of reasons. Um, first being like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, this is really going to be the driving factor for seeing tangible and qualitative and quantitative impact when it comes to your DEI um, impact within the company. So looking at the metrics, working with the hiring teams, um, ensuring there can be diverse slates, and um, really having the accountability when it comes to more of the entry-level roles um, of what those DEI goals are is a great method um, to increase that from entry-level up. And then um, as well as just like having long-term uh, talent pipeline. So when you're thinking about butts in seat impact, they'll have time to be rammed. It is really not that expensive to hire interns um, and then convert them to full-time. So there's a huge value add in business need to have, say, an intern for 12 weeks in the summer. They already know the culture. They know how to do the job. It's not that, it's not as expensive as bringing in a full-time external employee. 
that may or may not be exactly what you need. Whereas with this intern, um, especially for more of the like on the ground work, day-to-day -day work that the company needs to get done, um, they can really have a huge impact um, and then funnel into a full-time role quite easily. So you have a long-term pipeline that sets you and your team up well for incoming talent um, that will alleviate some work off of your more senior level folks, which is really helpful. Um, and then, as I mentioned, with alleviating that work from other folks, it comes work-life balance for your more full-time employees. So if your distribution within the organization is only senior leaders and no one who does the nitty gritty day-to-day -day work, um, I'm sure your company will suffer with work-life balance and not ha having enough hands on deck or, or time to get things over the finish line and do some you know more tedious or day-to-day -day tasks that an intern or a new grad um, could really help and drive forward. So with that program as well and having these hires, it's super impactful to be able to have more work-life balance with them as well. And a couple follow-ups from hearing kind of what you mentioned. Like the first is um, actually, how does one think about the difference between a new grad hire versus an intern hire? And are they, yeah, how, how do you think about the differences and what, uh, how should a company approach either of those? Yeah. Um, so an intern hire often is, they're, they're similar and separate. So an intern, someone who comes in, depends on your company and the structure, you can have an intern come in full-time for the summer, which is the most common. And that's what we do primarily. You can have part-time interns during the school year, or you can be a part of a co-op structure within specific universities and programs. So those are kind of three types of internships um, and interns, as well as you can look specifically at undergrad, master's and PhDs or MBA programs, mm -hmm. depending on the business need. Um, and then the new grads are those that then convert to full-time, even post-masters. Um, they could have two, three years of full-time experience and we we call them a new like a new grad conversion and just in that um, they come in post-graduation. So a majority of those that we hire as interns don't graduate for another six months. So even if they're graduating with the master's, they're still technically part of the new grad conversion cohort mm. that comes in. So it sounds like the typical strategy is to hire as an intern so they can convert into full-time or is there also typically, is there, can there be a strategy for just new grad hiring? Or is that typically much more difficult if you didn't bring them? Yeah, I mean, for us, we it's interns to full time. Got it. Um, we've seen we normally don't hire entry level new grads directly okay. at school. We had better success um, in hiring interns, seeing how they work in the team, their performance, etc., and then bringing them on. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, and then kind of the next question I had was you kind of mentioned different reasons why you might start, whether it's DEI reasons, whether it's work-life balance. Um, how does a company assess like if they are ready to start investing in a, a university recruiting program? Yeah, um, a few ways, um, you know, what things you really need to ensure you have ahead of time is leadership buy-in. Um, 
the idea and the program really being successful doesn't work unless people believe in it and see the value um, because it's not bets and seats, critical hires now. It's not backfills. It's long-term vision and growth of the company that you're investing in. So you really, it's important to have leadership buy-in of why entry-level roles are needed, why emerging talent pipeline is crucial, um, and then being able to kind of break it down further after that point. But I, I think really being able to assess if you're ready to have one starts with the leadership buy-in because um, you need you need the budget, you need yeah. the champions. Um, these are not people who are coming in with five years of experience ready to hit the ground running, but rather um, building that talent pipeline, as I mentioned, um, is definitely one of it. And then as far as, um, as well as just like resourcing when you're thinking about the program, um, if you really like want to dedicate some time and energy and have it be successful, I think that it's important to have someone on the team who owns it. Um, I think be a lot of it is visibility. So you're communicating with senior leaders, HR business partners, finance, um, as you're getting it up and running and you can't do like that in and of itself is a lot of program management mm -hmm. in recruiting. So it does take on a different type of role and hat for a recruiter to fill in this role. It can't just be like a full recruiter with nothing else. And they're just expected to take on all of this other yeah. things. I think it's really valuable to have someone dedicated with ownership to it. Maybe two follows. One is on moving someone into that role. What have you seen as the most common tactic? Just hire someone external that has that kind of experience or move somebody internal that kind of understands the business and has been in a recruiting role or a different role and moves into kind of this role to take on um, building out this program? I think it depends on the size of the company and where the company is at. For Amplitude, we have a relatively small team. So it, it made a lot more sense for us um, to bring someone who was already familiar with the role. So I was in a coordinator role prior and was kind of wearing a couple hats um, before I took it on fully. Cool. And then when you talked a little bit about leadership buy-in, I'm curious to know, do leaders like who have buy-in kind of like they've always had buy-in from the start and then like when the time was ready, they were ready to invest or was there, are there typical like inflection points where a leader suddenly starts to understand the value and decides they want to invest? Yeah. So normally starts generally not just in Amplitude, but in other organizations as well with engineering is normally like the largest cohort that invests in early career and that talent pipeline. Um, so they're often the first champions and senior leaders that you talk to, and then you kind of expand from there. Um, often everyone is super excited about the program. Mm -hmm. I think every person we talk to, every senior leader is like jazzed about the idea of getting an, an intern and growing. It's more so, um, is a business, business critical? Do we have the funds? And if you continue to just be a success, be very visible and communicative, um, it's easier to kind of prove like, oh, I want, I want intern this year. Mm. Last year we had 30 interns. Um, people were really excited. They did really well. And we had a lot more 
hiring teams be like, oh, I see the value in this. I want to raise my hand. I want one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Okay. So imagine coming now, they're ready to get started. How do they actually get started? What does like a typical year look like for someone who has to take on this as a, as a role? Yeah. Um, great question. So I think it's very cyclical and I didn't realize to what degree ahead of taking this role on myself. Um, so it's very important to map out your year based on the season you're in. So like if you're just looking at a calendar year, January to December, um, normally January to April-ish, that's springtime. Um, we focus on recruiting for more business-related roles. So um, finance, business systems, and then within our sales and go-to-market function as well. Um, and then in addition to actual recruiting and going through the hiring process, we focus on spring events as well. Um, we have three core schools we partner with that are local. Um, so we'll have an in-person or virtual presence um, sometime between January to end of February as kind of the last brand um, engagement and touch point. Um, and then also continuing to to close the roles. Uh, our goal is to have all of our roles filled by end of April. So those four months are then focused on that. Then if you look at the summer months, May to August is really focused on actual program. Um, so again, like the, I wear a lot of hats. I also am an honorary amplitier intern is what we like to say. So um, we'll do events in the office with the interns, um, as well as using that timeline to then confirm budget for the following year, um, and then advocating for specific roles and recs for intern hiring for the following summer. So we start doing that in like July and August for people that would start in May. Wow. So we do it like a full year out. Um, so it's, and that is something that is very specific and unique because our full-time forecasting doesn't happen until the fall or winter for the mm-hmm. following year. So it's kind of async. We do that because those um, candidates specifically for the technical roles that we're confirming, um, they're kind of trained and groomed to know to start looking for roles in September, October. So the candidate profiles and the personas like they that we're aiming for, a lot of them begin hiring in September, October. So yeah, we we spend a lot of time strategizing, confirming headcount and resources, budgeting um, and planning for the following year, as well as the end of summer is um, intern evaluations and conversion process to full-time. So then for full-time hires, we build a case as to why we should convert them um, to full-time. We work with the hiring managers, finance to confirm that budget. And we like to give offers before they leave, ideally. Um, And that's in August, September. And then in the last months of the year, September to December is then our fall winter season of recruitment. So we focus on more of those technical roles, as I mentioned, engineering, product design, product management, um, and accounting. And we start recruiting for those in October. And then we have also about three to four events 
um, in, that are targeted for those majors and candidate profiles from our core schools that we partnership as well. That is a busy year. As a, <laughs> When I first hear at University of Recruiting, I never think about actually the actual running the program. For whatever reason, I always think about there's the like recruiting and the interviewing and, and the, you know, maintaining the program, but not like ones are actually on the job and completely didn't think about, you know, making sure that they are successful when they're on the job, thinking about converting them and, and the events that happen in office. So that's a, that's a lot to take on. <laughs> yeah, it is very cyclical. Like nothing happens all at once. Like everything right. is kind of broken down by season. Yeah. Spring, fall, winter, summer, every, every season, you kind of have a different focus area, which some I like more than others. And it kind of keeps my job interesting and yeah. ever, ever changing. Yeah. Which is fun that's too. But fun. yeah, when you think of university recruiting, you just think of going to career fair and right. hiring. And that's where it ends. And <laughs> it's definitely not the case. Yeah. Um, so when people think about planning for actual headcount, like how do they know how many interns or new grads to bring on? And how does that number kind of relate to overall full-time headcount? Yeah, um, great question. So a lot of that is really dependent on, um, for us, we do something called like an intern headcount calculator, for okay. example. So um, in theory, we're not perfect at this. Mm -hmm. we, want, <laughs> we want to look at the distribution um, in partnership with senior leaders and HR business partners um, of current like P1 or P2 distribution within a specific department and team, and then compare it to our competitors and what we're seeing in the market. So for example, we did a thought exercise um, with our senior leader within engineering and our engineering org as of last fall was 4% um, P1 out of a P1 to P4, P5 scale. Um, and a lot of our competitors that we compare ourselves closely to within engineering, they they aim to have 15 to 25% as P1. So if you look at those that distribution level, um, we really don't have a lot of entry-level engineers. Um, hmm. So again, the work-life balance piece, the impact they make, the type of work, it's really valuable. Um, so with that sentiment and sharing that, we then use that distribution to kind of inform long-term where we want to be. So we won't get to 20% in a year. <laughs> There's no way, but maybe we'll end up at 8%. Right. So in order to get to 8%, we need to hire a certain amount of interns um, the following summer with the knowledge that 50 to 70% of them are going to convert to full-time um, after they graduate, which would then increase our overall distribution um, in the long-term. And we know that they're great and that we enjoyed working with them um, and we have that consistent pipeline. Um, so in theory, it would look like that type of exercise is what is it going to take for us to get to this number? Um, and then breaking it down from there. And in case people don't know what a P1 is, could you elaborate on what that is or yeah. the scale you mentioned? So yeah. A P1, sorry, is an individual contributor. So you have S's, P's, M's. There's a lot of letters for leveling um, within <laughs> a company. 
Uh, essentially what a P1 is, is just like think of an individual contributor, someone who's not a manager, um, is a okay. professional and then it's the lowest level. Got it. Okay. Got it. Um, and then you kind of touched on this, but the, the percentage of interns that convert to full-time, um, maybe shed some light around, like maybe common reasons why that might not be a hundred percent or actually it, what is a target percentage that is a, is a healthy percentage of conversion from intern to full-time. Yeah. Um, so for this really, a lot of it is dependent by variables. So we look at, um, business need. So what type of work they're really going to be able to contribute to full time. And then also their performance throughout the summer, not just work ethic, but culture ad, do they align with our values of humility, ownership, growth mindset? Were they a team player? Um, did they have did they leave their ego at the door? Were they communicative? Um, so we assess for all of those things um, and then budget. So we look at how they're performing on a nine box talent scale. So um, we want to think about if we're converting them to a full-time role and they're funneling into that full-time role by the end of the internship, they should be somewhere in the midpoint of what that role entails, maybe slightly below it. So they are pretty ramped, shows a lot of signal and strength that they could do that um, role that they're flowing into full-time well. Um, and then as far as what's healthy, I mean, ideally we could convert hundred percent of them, but that likely will never happen. Mm -hmm. um, just various reasons as I mentioned, um, budget performance, business need. So we target to be, um, our goal is 60% internally. Um, we had, we hit it last year, the summer before that was 50%. Um, and we kind of want to stay between 50% and 70% as the conversion rate to full-time as ideal. Um, I think with the macro climate, a lot of that is shifting. Okay. So it might be closer on average to 30 to 50% are being converted, mm -hmm. um, just given the need. Yeah. But for us, historically and internally, we like to keep it an aim for 50 to 70%. Nice. That's helpful. That's helpful. Um, mm. Okay. I'd love to hop into like, actually, how, how do people even get started with partnering with schools, reaching out, like as someone who has never done it before, what's sort of that step-by-step -step guide that you can share? Yeah, so we are continually like learning this as well. So definitely aren't masters at it ourselves. I think um, a lot of it is the strategy, again, back to why start the program. So that initial question is, what are what are the goals of the program? Is it just butts and seat? Is it DEI focus? Is it driving long-term impact? Where do you see the value in the program? And then looking at specific partnerships and schools that are going to reflect that um, initiatives of the program. So for us, we look at three core schools that we partner with locally. Um, so we look at diversity demographics of that school is important, as well as types of programs and majors um, that are in line with the roles that we're hiring for. 
Um, of course, just wanting to make sure it's in line with the roles we could funnel them, them into. Um, and that's really a big part is just the, the location proximity. We have historically have tried to partner with HBCUs um, and then also like our founder school. Um, we've had better success with what we've seen with Gen Z's um, and coming out of the pandemic is that people really value that in-person touch. And the last couple of years, we've had much more success with um, the local schools that we partner with versus um, trying to partner more virtually with schools that are across the country. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. You kind of mentioned to look at one demographics and then two programs that the schools offer to make sure it's aligned with roles that you're actually hiring for. Is that like, how do you actually look up something like that for someone who's never tried, but like, is it just easily to Google like the school name and what the demographic is and the offering or is there so, sort of like a tool or resource you use to easily search that up? Yeah. So Google is definitely a friend. <laughs> um, and then um, there's a lot actually of like blogs out there that talk about this um, that have done some deep dive into like the Hispanic Institute, Hispanic Serving Institutes, for example, that are local, um, that are great. And then, so like UC Berkeley actually um, identifies as a Hispanic Serving Institute, you have to be over 20% Hispanic and to qualify as that. So a lot of that information is just readily available online. And then um, partnership and looking at different metrics within um, NACE, for example, National Association of Colleges and Education, I believe okay. is what it stands for. So um, they're a great resource and tool okay. uh, at a higher level for collegiate numbers and metrics. And so let's say you choose the schools that you kind of want to target. How do you actually go about partnering with a school? Is it just as simple as putting up a job posting or tell me a little bit about other things you might need to think about to actually get started. Yeah. So, um, one, you have to, I think, identify what your budget is for those, for the program. Um, so for us, we operate from a, a pretty lean budget where it doesn't, it's not in the cards necessarily for us to go to, eight career fairs and be in person because that's the fastest way to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so rather we have kind of a mix of some career fairs as well as partnering with student development orgs. Um, and a lot of that kind of like sourcing and recruiting in general is a lot of trial and error. So we send out messages for to like 30 different student campus clubs, um, ranging from women in computer science to Latinx engineering, um, and it's like that would be the type of backgrounds and students that we're looking to hire um, from these schools. And, you know, we're, we eventually hear back from some that are interested and we host more intimate gatherings with them. So for just recently, about a month ago, we went to UC Berkeley and we gave a presentation in partnership with our Latinx employee resource group at Amplitude and to their Hispanic research center and the students there. So although it wasn't an opportunity to have 
2000 connections. We, we met with 30 students wow. and we're going to continue to build that growth and that partnership year over year, where then the students know us that maybe they're sophomores this year, not quite qualified for an internship for this summer, but they know who we are. We've built that brand and we continue to show up year over year um, with those events as well as career fairs too. It's just like so high touch and just so much more personal. I remember when I was in school and we did these like these events and it's just like, I mean, I, I feel like the big brands come and they just try to kind of spray and pray and get as many people there. But I like this kind of high touch or personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, is, I guess like based on what your experience and your learnings, like what do students care most about and how do you, yeah, how do you define success in, in a kind of university recruiting program in general? Yeah. So um, the most common questions that we get is around culture, 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 how's the culture there? Tell me about the culture. What is, what is the work-life culture look like? That's the most common one I get. I think that they are told um, yeah, I'm pretty sure sophomore, <laughs> sophomore year of their undergrad, like make sure you go to a company that has <laughs> culture because that's like the number one question we get. And they're curious about rightfully so people are important um how you feel like your sense of belonging within an organization is huge um so that's a big component and then the growth opportunity and conversion rate so they are often wondering what's next after after an internship what's the probability of converting to full-time I get that question a lot um how often have you hired this role before and was the person before me successful? Did they get a return offer? Um, which completely makes sense. This is kind of a long game for them as well. Mm-hmm. So they want to look at an opportunity that's going to set them up for success after the internship as well. I'm very curious to know if you see it more common that when you bring an intern on that they kind of want to, they're more likely to hop around and try out new internships or that they actually want to stay with that one company and continue on um, post-graduation? Um, yeah, I mean, our it depends on the company. At least for us, we've had pretty good success with um, converting those that we do extend offers to um, to full-time post-internship. We have over an 80% conversion rate. Wow. So often they're, the idea is that they're sold. Yeah. You know, they spent 10 to 12 weeks as, with us this summer. They like the company, the culture, the growth opportunity, the events that we had. Um, and if they leave that and they don't want to start their career at Amplitude, then that's honestly kind of on us that we didn't give them that experience um, that felt like they wanted to come back. I mean, those are some great numbers. I feel like sometimes when I talk to companies and they're kind of averse to to bring in our program, it's because they've maybe had a bad experience where students don't like convert at a high rate. But like you mentioned, a lot of it is to do with the company and how well they built the experience and, you know, incentivize the student to come back. And so it's definitely more kind of company dependent, it sounds like. Um, so I'm curious to know just like tools and resources that you have you know, learn to, to need to be able to like successfully run a university recruiting program? Um, yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned before, I think having a dedicated team 
um, that is has a lot of ownership and visibility into the business, um, driving impact. Even within my role, I have opportunities to speak directly to C-level people and like our SVP of engineering and say, this is the performance valuation of all of the interns within your org. That's a really unique opportunity for a recruiter to get to have. Um, and I think you really need to have that dedicated resource of someone on the team who can do that um, as one. And then as far as technology and tools go, um, I believe an early career sourcing tool is key if you really think about the sophistication of the program. If you're targeting DEI initiatives or you're going to build partnerships with schools on campus or virtually, then having um, a tool like Ripple Match or we personally use Ripple Match and have had great success with it. Um, there's other tools out there that are similar, like Way Up, Handshake Premium. Um, I'm sure I'm missing others, but essentially this allows you to like sort um, and filter by the importance of DEI or types of backgrounds and personas you're looking for. Um, and then tracking all of these candidates, um, having a talent community and engaging with them with follow-up applications, nurture campaigns, um, really just having that extra touch point um, with these candidates after their application, as well as after events, kind of is an all-in-one within those tools. Um, and then as you grow, as far as the size of your program and sophistication, um, partners like Hatchways and HackerInk um, or CoderPad are great tools for technical roles um, and efficiencies. There's tools like Simba and Scholars. They're about like onboarding, evaluation process, um, programmatic once they're within the program. Um, and those are all great and highly recommend, I'm sure. Um, but I think as you really think about the resources you need, um, starting with the dedicated team, um, having someone who has high level of ownership, as well as the early career sourcing tool that's dedicated to that, because it is different than your full-time roles. I, I do believe that you need a different tool than just your um, regular applicant tracking system. Awesome. Yeah, I always hear that people who kind of invest in new grad interns, just the volume you get in is kind of incomparable to like a full-time hiring role. So you definitely need to kind of invest in tools. Um, before we kind of get into just talking about what you need to prepare for like internal teams, maybe last thing around, you know, getting started with schools and, you know, making making sure students are successful in the programs, like, is there anything that you've noticed that companies go wrong most often or companies often forget about when it comes to preparing their program or even things that maybe you've forgotten about in the past? Um, maybe shed some light there. Yeah, definitely. Um I, I know we definitely are not perfect at this, but just thinking about long-term planning versus being reactionary. Um, so much of the value of the program is forecasting, proactiveness, building that pipeline, thinking long-term as far as types of projects and roles these individuals could funnel into. So I think companies really get stuck on what we need to solve for now versus where we'll be in two years and what we want the distribution of specific orgs, um, challenges that those 
orgs are facing the type of work and projects they'd be doing to work on. So it's changing your thought on that and partnering with finance and senior leaders to really see that vision. Um, I think another thing I've struggled with that we can always do better at is just communication. You know, you go through the flows of recruiting and events and follow up with candidates and you just keep going, you keep going. But so much of it, that touch point of proving to the business why it's a must have, the impact you made from those events um, and really the impact from the hires, the performance from the interns, there is an extra level of visibility you have with senior leaders um, as they're investing in the program to over-communicate and remain visible. Mm. If every three emails I send, four emails, I get one response. It's better than not sending an email at all. Um, and I think we're continually learning that here is just the importance of visibility and communication. Um, partnership with the key, key leaders um, within the company, um, and then really just shifting their thought to be more long-term success versus uh, more short-term planning. I think that's a great tip around over-communication. I think that can be definitely not just in this program, but like just company-wide usually, more communication, the better. Um, it sounds like, I mean, you've definitely talked about the different types of departments and people you need to get involved. So when thinking about how to prepare your internal team, who are all the people that need to get involved in making sure that a program like this is successful? Yeah, um, I think first off, you know, once you have the buy-in from senior leaders, you need to work closely with finance and your compensation team to understand how much the funding you really need for this would be. Um, and then HR business partners are, is definitely a tool that um, you should work to have a cadence with as well. What we've seen is HR business partners have more of that like monthly, biweekly touch point with senior leaders that ultimately drive the decisions around these hires um, as critical. So having them on your team, seeing the importance of the work you're doing is really valuable. So looping in, um, I would say senior leaders first and foremost for their buy-in and being a champion. And then at the same time, needing HRBP support and the finance support for getting involved and building it out. And then the hiring managers that decide to take on an intern or new grad, how does that process actually work of getting interest and then deciding who gets who gets an intern or new grad? Often, um, this is still kind of gray or fuzzy for new areas that we grow in, but it's based on the senior leader's preference. So they could say, we're going to have 12 interns within engineering. We're going to have, based on the projects we're working on this summer, I need eight back end and then four front end. And then I'd like these hiring managers to focus on them. And then we take that and the hiring managers... And I then worked together to um, have an intake meeting, ensure that we're aligned on the types of backgrounds we're looking for, the initiatives of the program, setting clear expectations of our partnership and what their role as the hiring manager would be during the summer. Um, and then we treat it often like a full-time role. So mm -hmm. as I mentioned, a lot of the, a big part of the program is conversion to full-time. So is the goal 
Mm-hmm. So you don't just want to bring in someone that is an internal person's second cousin that's a sophomore. Um, we want to think more strategically about could this person come back in six to nine months, ready to go, have high impact, um, and what does that look like? So the hiring managers really actually understand that well that I've seen. And there is grace. We we look for um, coachability and the ability to learn in the interview process. We're not assessing them like a, a mid-senior level person, mm-hmm. intern. Um, but we do want to look for potential growth to that full-time role. So we go through the whole interview process and cadence um, thinking, could they potentially convert to full-time as well? Yeah. Got it. And by managing some of all of these stakeholders that you kind of mentioned, and you mentioned communication being such a key piece, what are like high level, all the resources or documents or things that you need to prepare to make sure that you, everyone gets the information that they need, everyone is prepared um, and that, you know, ultimately you run a successful program? Yeah. Wow. Where do you start? (laughs) Um, So I think internally having like a, a master sheet of budget, just like tracking hires, the recruiting cohorts of when we start hiring the demand from the business, Um, just having that organized as well for your own internal metrics and tracking. It's very key to say organized, Um, as well as ensuring that hiring managers are set up and the business is set up. We have um, like an intake form, a job kit, where we essentially work Um, to build out what the interview process looks like, what the backgrounds we're looking for, what representation from the team is currently missing. And we use that as the starting point as well as um, aligning on the job description. Um, So we have a lot of those templates already created for the full-time recruiting role and, and team. So we just modify that to reflect the intern and new grad roles. Um, and then we have something called an intern manager playbook where we give them at the start of the internship to the managers as a reference point around conversion process, um, any questions they have on mentorship, each intern is paired with a mentor on the team outside of the manager. So if they have questions on what that process looks like, we kind of point them to this mega doc (laughs) that um, should hopefully be a good guidance for them as well. Awesome. That's a lot to prepare. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about like, you know, what, (laughs) yeah, who is a good fit for this role? Like why you like this role or yeah. I'm just curious to hear about more about that. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I think you have to really see the value in it. Um, I think that bringing on interns and new grad hires and partnering with schools and making a case to the business. Um, It's going to get old if you don't see and recognize the impact of what you're doing. So I think having a connection to the students um, is really pivotal for whoever is coming into this role, seeing the value in the initiatives and why you're starting it. Um, I think just being able to be organized, um, remain proactive, high level of ownership, um, 
ideally is the type of person, but I think it does come down to that the person who believes in and what the program does. Like yeah. a lot of it is highs and lows, and sometimes the lows are rough mm. in in the program. So you got to believe that like long term there'll be more highs and the impact of your work is really valuable. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I know we covered a lot. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover that you think might be important to mention before we kind of close out? Um, no, I think this was great. I think we covered a lot. Um, thank you for, for the time. I think just advice for anyone that's getting started um, really lean on others in your community. People within the early career space are often really helpful so reach out on LinkedIn, join URX, um, join these communities of people and just begin data gathering, understanding best practices, because um, we're all figuring it out together. It's kind of a very big, small world. So people are, are really wanting to help as well. So as you're thinking about um, kicking off a program, that definitely lean on the network that you could have. Great. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks, Jacqueline.